in the Word for Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. There are Bibles in the back if you need one. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I want to start by asking a couple questions, and it may seem like I actually want you to raise your hand, but you don't have to raise your hand because there's too much danger for that to feel really awkward. So just just in your mind's eye, like picture raising your hand or not raising your hand, and how many people out here would also be raising your hand? That's the assignment, okay? But to save anybody from embarrassment again, like don't actually raise your hands. Uh, so the first question is, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? I want you to picture, like, would I raise my hand? How many hands do you think would be up there? And the, the second question, you can put your hands down. The second question is, uh, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian? And picture how many hands are up or down, whether yours is up or down. And I don't, I don't know what you pictured, of course, but when, when I picture that in my mind's eye, um, I think there, were, there are less hands on the first question than there are on the second question. Perhaps I'm wrong, but that's my guess, is that there's less people that would raise their hand and say, yeah, I am a disciple, than would...
if we would all treasure it and, and desire it uh, in order to continue to build this culture of discipleship. But I want you to know this. If you're, if you're sitting there and you're unsure of exactly what discipleship means or what don't, if you don't have clarity of, on what discipleship entails or you don't know what it even means to be a disciple, just know that you're not alone. Um, I, in many ways, I'm right there with you. I didn't grow up in a, in a culture of discipleship, and so I'm learning so much, but I am absolutely convinced that uh, the discipleship is this powerful force multiplier for creating mature believers in Christ. I think that's the way, that's the picture that we see in the Bible of that it is powerful when we do this well to create mature believers and to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry and to prepare us as followers of Jesus to navigate light, to handle the ups and downs and, and to spread the gospel, to experience the joy and of our faith in any circumstance, that's all wrapped up in discipleship. And that's what it's about is, is learning how to do all of those things. And so it is, it is with eagerness that I, I get to share this. I've been really excited. And it's also with just a deep sense in, in my heart of neediness. Neediness because I can, I can try my best to, to articulate a few things. And also a neediness because I, I'm really aware that we can plant seeds and we can water those seeds, but we can't cause any growth because it is only God that can cause that growth that we need in him. And so I want to just pray that, that God would do this work in us, that he would, dis, that I would be discipled and that you would be discipled and that we would grow in our faith together and that he would cause that growth. So let's bow our heads and just ask, ask God to be with us in that. Lord God, we, we are needy for you. We cannot change each other's hearts. We, we struggle and cannot even change our own hearts, but you have the power to do that. The heart of each person is like water in your hand. You turn it where you want it to go. And so we ask you to turn our, our hearts to you, to bend our wills to your way for your glory and for our joy. Would you be with us now as we look at this passage more in depth, as we study your word and as we try to understand uh, this calling that you have given for us to be your disciples. Be with us, Lord, we pray. In your name, amen. So what, is it, what does it mean? I thought we'd start with just a definition. What does it mean to be a disciple? And my best shot at a, at a definition, and it's not mine, I just thought it was simple and easy and accessible, is discipleship is the process of maturing in your faith and becoming more like Jesus. Maturing in your faith, becoming more like Jesus, that's what discipleship means. The Greek meaning of the word disciple is just learner. A disciple is just a learner. Uh, uh, and so you're learning, but what are you learning? You are learning how to be more like Christ. And as we... Dig in. I have a, a couple quick notes um, that I think are important to just underlie uh, the rest of what I have to say. And the first thing is that this discipleship, this work of, of trying to be more like Christ and, and trying to be refined is not a saving work. That work 
is done. If you are in Christ, you are a finished work in that sense. He has, he has won that prize for you. He has run that race and you are made clean. It is not a saving work. It is a sanctifying work. But the, the, the discipleship in no way saves you. You're not, in other words, going to make God any more happy with you than he already is. But that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me in some, some ways, but then every time I ponder, I'm like, hallelujah, that he is that happy with me because, because of Christ, that I don't have to work for this. But if you have already recognized that Jesus is the Lord of the universe and submitted your life to him and, and you are forgiven, his smile is upon you, his favor is upon you, he sings over you, is what the word says. He is with you and loves you as much as he ever will right now or ever can because his love is perfect. And yet, Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf is finished, but his work in shaping us and conforming us is not. That work continues, and we are called to grow and to be more like Christ, and he is worthy of our submission to his ways. So, so this first note is just Remember, this is not a saving faith. We don't work for our salvation. That is done. Hallelujah for that. The second note is that this is a lifelong pursuit. Once Jesus gets a hold of your heart and your life is submitted to him, from that moment on, every breath that you take from then on, your pursuit is to be more like Jesus. The entire rest of your life and my life, we have to be discipled to learn how to talk like him, how to respond like him, how to prioritize time like him, to hope like him, and uh, submit to the Father like him, be holy like him. But in this life, in this life, for as long as he gives us, we'll never achieve it. Until he comes again or until he calls us home, we are never going to be made fully Christ-like. It is a nonstop, never-ending work until he finishes that work. So these two distinctions uh, are, are important grounding for the rest of what I want to say. And before I, I go to uh, our text in Ephesians, I want to look first at a, another text that I think you are pretty familiar with. And that is, if I can get there, ooh, I'm going the wrong way. That's the problem. In Matthew, many of you are probably very familiar with this. Uh, it, it, this is the Great Commission. It's the very end of Matthew, and Jesus has been crucified. He has been resurrected back to life, been with his disciples and, and other people again, and now these are his last words before he ascends into heaven. So they're important words. And while I, it's very familiar, I just cannot read this or hear it enough. It is such a good reminder every time. So Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I wanted to start here. I wanted to pause and look at a couple of things here because... This is our charge as followers of Jesus. We cannot ignore this text. And with all the authority that Jesus has given, which is all of it, 
with all authority, he tells us, go. Go. That is not passive. He did not say, like, be on the lookouts or uh, wait for opportunities to come to you to make disciples of all nations and baptizing and teaching them. He says, go. The call is not to attend a bunch of classes while we, it's my bent, it's probably many of your bent, attend a bunch of quick classes because I need to be fully equipped before I can feel like I can go. That is not our command. And in this room, if you read the passages before it, the verses before it, there are some in the room who doubted that he was who he said he was. And so that leads me to believe if that's how far the, the spectrum goes to who was in the room, that not everybody in the room felt equipped and built and ready for this work. I'm sure that many people were like, whoa, I don't know if I can do that. And yet that's, Jesus doesn't shy away from, from this call, go. These are the marching orders for followers of Jesus. It's, an, it's this active engagement of strategic and intentional behavior. It's not passive. So he tells us to go, go and do what? He gives us two things. Uh, he tells us to make disciples first. Copy that. We're supposed to make disciples. How? And this is where we have two things. Make disciples of all nations by doing these two things, baptizing them and teaching. And so baptizing is this initial step for the believer. When you become a believer, you should be baptized. And if you haven't, then baptize, Jed. I just, I want you to know, you should be baptized. Uh, frankly, I'm going to say it this way, you're being disobedient. If you're a believer in Jesus and have submitted your life to, the, to him as the Lord and authority of your life, you haven't been baptized, you're being disobedient to his word. And I don't say that to shame you. Again, not at all. In fact, that's my story. I was a believer for many years before I was baptized as, as a professing believer in Christ. And so it's not, no shame here, but there's an order to it, baptize and teach. And so if, you, if we've gotten that order wrong, let's circle back and let's baptize you. And I would love to talk to you about it. I, we love baptism. And it is a beautiful proclamation and picture of the gospel. So baptize them and then teach them. Teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's what, that's what our call is. Teach to observe all that Jesus commanded. How do we know what Jesus commanded? Well, I, I don't think this is going to blow anybody's mind, but it's written down in this Bible. That's why we prioritize the Bible, is that we view that this is his words. This is our instruction book. That's what we're supposed to teach out of, to teach all that he has commanded. So we read the Bible and learn for, from it, and that's, that's why we're going to Ephesians. So let's look now at Ephesians 4, and I'm telling you, I love this chapter. It is it is so good when it comes to discipleship and trying to get a picture of discipleship. So let's start with this first sentence. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to, with, to which you have been called. And this sentence is powerful because that really, in a nutshell, that's discipleship. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians and he's urging them to walk in this manner that's worthy of the calling that we've been called. It's what discipleship looks like for every believer, this urging and exhorting and, and prioritizing and pointing and directing and reminding and imploring, imploring. Paul says, I urge you to walk this way. It's lovingly helping others consider what they 
as believers in Jesus, ought to think about how they ought to behave, where they need to grow, reminding of them of what is true. So we're urged to walk in a manner worthy of who Christ is, what he accomplished for us, what he has called us to. And this is not in any way from Paul an arrogant plea. It's not, he's not shaming them. He's not um, like looking down his nose at them. It's a loving plea because Paul knows that this in this walk, walking in a manner worthy is where the best life is to be found. It's where the greatest joys are to be uh, expressed and experienced is in the ways of God. So I think there are, when it comes to discipleship, um, I think that there are four main categories. And I'm not drawing this from the passage. I just find it helpful for my own thinking. Four categories or discipleship buckets, uh, if you will, that, that we need to think about and be discipled in. So these, these buckets are knowledge of God, Uh, Let me pull up the slide. I think I've got it. Yeah. Knowledge of God, knowledge of self, community, and mission. And you can see this kind of Venn diagram where these overlap a little bit. But knowledge of God. Who is God? What is he like? What's his character? Is he personal? Is he distant? Does he care about all people? Does he care about some people? Does he care about me? We have to we have to be discipled in that. And, and the way we do that is we go to the word and see what it says. Or knowledge of self. Where should my identity be? What am I supposed to do in this life? And how do I figure that out? And where, where why, did you, why am I here at all? Like all of these questions about self, we need to be discipled in them according to what is true in his word. Or community and generally... This, this applies, this idea of community applies to, like, how do we, just culture at large, how do we interact with the world and our engagement with the world and why things are the way they are, but specifically, primarily, I'm talking about the church here, community as a church. How are we supposed to live this life out with fellow believers? Why is this corporate gathering that we do on Sundays good? And what are we meant to do when we gather? So these four categories, or three categories, are completed by the fourth of mission. How should I use my time? How should I use my energy, my talents, my money, all of these things? What, what's the aim in life? What should I be doing? And these circles overlap because so many things in Scripture point to more than one bucket uh, where we need discipleship. So here's why I think these buckets are important, why I'm talking about this at all, is because we all have in like this deep-seated need in us for a few things and that God hardwired it and and built us and designed us for these needs they're good needs and these categories speak to these needs that we have and so so those are these needs that I'm talking about our needs for identity belonging and purpose identity we need identity we need belonging and we need purpose and the more we, we grow in our knowledge about who God is and about who we are, the more rooted in identity we become and the more satisfied in our identity because that's where the truth is found. We, we need that. We yearn for it. The more we understand about uh, our community and what, what we're supposed to experience with that, the more we experience this deep, good, longing, abiding sense of, of uh, belonging. And the more we grow on 
our understanding of mission and our mission of spreading the gospel, the more satisfied we are with our purpose. So these satisfy us. God's word satisfies us. Discipleship satisfies these deep yearnings. The better we understand these four buckets that we need to look at. So I want to filter uh, the second paragraph that we read from Ephesians, verses 11 through 16. I want to filter those through these four buckets and, and just see kind of what I, what I mean when we look at this. So he says this, this text, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's pass pass this text through kind of the, this filter of these four buckets. First off, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. God gave these people to be part of the church. So this, is, this teaching is about community, this sentence of how we're to understand it. And, and I think there's more to it than this, but it at least says that God has structure and order when it comes to community. He has design to it. And then we read why he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Can you identify that bucket? I think that's missional. What we're to be doing, we're, we're to be equipped for the work of ministry. All seats, all of us. We are on mission. We are all meant to take part in this work of building a ministry that proclaims the gospel and for the building up of the body of Christ. I think we're supposed to build up this community and, and what that means is both in numerically that we are to point others to Jesus so that, so that God can bring them into his fold and it's also building up in maturity to help us grow in our faith. So this sentence is, is an overlap. It's both community and its mission. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I put this one in, in the, the knowledge of God bucket. God desires unity, not disunity. Our faith and our knowledge of him should, should bring this ever-increasing measure of unity. And I want to say that, that unity and uniformity are not the same thing. We are not called to uniformity. Those two things are not identical. One speaker at that conference said this, which I thought was just really uh, a good word. He said, uh, to disciple, what we need is to disciple people into gift discovery and release to disciple people into figuring out who they are in their gifts and then release them to exercise those gifts and to bless the body, not into assimilation where you just join and, and 
join the culture and be part of that culture. It's not a cookie cutter discipleship. That's not the biblical picture, but God's desire is for unity, just not uniformity. So let's not confuse those two. Now there's more to say there, but I have to keep going. Um, we we're about halfway through verse 13 here. And it says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And the bucket here is, is knowledge of self. And we can see in, in those, that text there, we can see that God is saying, through Paul, you're not mature yet. We're supposed to push towards maturity, but you're not there yet. Not any of us are yet conformed to his likeness. There is growth to be had. There is maturing to be done. And so it tells us also that we can, we can be deceived. That's important to know. I can be deceived and I'm not mature enough yet. There's growth and to be cautious of deception. But this deceived part means that we'll have misunderstandings and wrong thinking from time to time. And there's malformations of who we are, of who God is, of what church should look like, of what our missions should be. And there is an this imperative underlying philosophy if you're to be a, a disciple. And that is that maturing must take place in you. We don't have everything figured out in our Christian theology, in our walk of life. You don't, I don't. I have malformed theology. I have malformed behaviors. I have malformed priorities. And discipleship is taking what, what's been malformed and reforming it to what is true, to, to original design. We have so many parts of our thinking and understanding that are malformed. We have to reform it, reshape it. And these malformations, they're from the world and cultures begin. They're from our upbringing, all of us, individual upbringing. They're from our own sinful tendencies that influence those malformations and untruths. And you can either just cling on to these malformations and dig in your heels and have a hard heart, or through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can, and, and through brothers and sisters sharing things with you, and from the word of God, you can have those malformations reformed into what's true and good and right. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. The text goes on to say in Ephesians, verse 15, rather, that is, rather than being children tossed to and fro and, and having childlike faith, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that is such a beautiful picture of community to me, of what it should look like. That is inspiring and compelling. And this, 
metaphor that's used in here of, of the body working together properly and that the community of God, the, this uh, church, should be working together and we, are, we all have parts to play and we're all bones and ligaments and each person has unique gifts. This is spoken about in other places. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, it's in Romans 12, and it's in here. And each time the point is that every single person in the church has a part to play. Every child has a part to play in the body of Christ. Every woman has a part to play in the body. Every man has a part to play. And we get to grow up and disciple each other towards being more like Jesus by speaking the truth in love. And this is the most exciting part to me, is the the very last part. That doing this well as a church body is going to cause it's going to cause spiritual growth when each part is working properly makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love that is a cause and effect when this is happening it's going to have the effect of growth in love I want that brothers and sisters if I want to grow as a disciple in Jesus what this means that I need you. I need you to build my faith. I need you to exercise your gift that my faith can be increased. And if you looked left and looked right and looked behind you and looked in front of you, those people need you if you if they want to see their faith be, get built. You need me. You need those people. We need each other to build our faith. We're to be a happy or a healthy community. We have to engage with one another. We have to dig in and be in each other's life and, and disciple one another and in speaking into each other's life. What that means is that a life of isolation for a Christian, those are, those are antithetical. You can't be a Christian and live in isolation according to the Bible, not just this verse, but many others. There may be seasons that that happens, but as a lifestyle, those two things are directly in opposition. And the way we do it is, is this balance of truth and love. Both are required. Both truth and love. If you, it, it's not loving to ignore a truth that, that should be spoken into somebody's life. If you see them careening towards an unhealthy destination or continuing down this, this misguided path, we, we need to be able to speak into that. It's, it wouldn't be loving to let that happen. And the, the truth is that has to be supported by what we read in, in the Bible. And it can't just be every whim and every thought that comes into my head of like, I have this truth for you. That's not what we're talking about. But to remind and point each other, point me to the word of God and disciple each other. But that also has to be done in love. There has to be this compassion for the other person, this undergirding of love. Because if it's not there, that makes the truth unhearable and therefore unvaluable. The hearer needs to know that it's coming from a place of love for them, of desiring the very best for them. If love is lacking, ears will not be open for the truth to land upon. So it's a balance, it's truth and love that we have to speak. I want to circle back to uh, something that I started with, and that, that's that this is this lifelong process, and it's messy work. It's this endless cycle of believing and repenting and believing and repenting and believing and repenting. 
I will read a text like James uh, chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to, flee, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I hear that text, read it, and I see anger in, in how I interact at times with my family or with coworkers or with some of you. And I have to repent because I believe it. I believe that I shouldn't do that. I believe that the truth is found in here and I need to be quick to hear and slow to anger. As slow as I can possibly be. So I repent and believe and I repent and I believe. Or I have a brother or a sister come and talk to me about something they see in how I'm parenting my children. And they, they open the Bible with me and remind me of what the Word says in, that, in, in my parenting. They point me towards biblical truths of how I'm to parent. Remind me of who I am and who God is. And it again, it just causes me to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Lord, forgive me for not following you. Even when I, even when I try my very hardest, I fall short. So purify me. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. It's this cycle of repenting and believing. It's all part of discipleship. I wish I could keep going on. There's, there's so much to say and so much to nuance and like so much to discipleship. But uh, we do, I have to wrap up. Um, before, we, before we do that, I have three things for you to consider. Like the so what. So what am I supposed to do with, with this? What do we walk away with? So the first thing is, that I want to encourage uh, all of you, read the entire chapter, Ephesians 4. It's, it's gold when it comes to discipleship. Read it, Ephesians 4 and read it once a day this week and just stew on it, meditate on it. Allow your mind to be renewed and look at it particularly with his lens of, of discipleship. What did, there's so much in, in this that speaks to discipleship. So that's the first thing. Second thing, don't wait to disciple others. Don't wait. You are called to it. Jesus said, go. Activate on that. Do it. And, and the simplest, there's no magic formula. The simplest version of discipleship is this. Open up the word of God and read it with somebody and pray with them. That's what it takes. Open up the Bible, read it, digest it with them, and pray. That's discipleship at its simplest. However, we, we know the elders is the we here. The elders know that we have more equipping to do and that, that we, we need it. So we're working on that. We're eager to provide more equipping in, in the months and the years to come. We're, we're a young church. We're figuring it out. As I told you, I am not the expert here, but I'm eager for it. Um, but don't wait. Don't wait for that. Start with just opening the word, praying with somebody. Third thing is that if you want to be more intentionally discipled, have somebody intentionally disciple you or if you have capacity and you would like to disciple somebody else we would love to make some of those matches happen as we can and we can't promise like that we can do that right away but we at least want to know about it so on tuesday for our weekly email there will be a, a survey that you could click on to say yes i would like to be discipled yes or yes and or um, i would like to disciple somebody else because this is a priority we want to equip we want to build we want to like create more and more of this and as as i close i i have loved 
I'm a fan of Winston Churchill, and he's so articulate. And I don't think he was talking specifically about discipleship in this quote, but he should have been because it is spot on with with what my my understanding and my experience with discipleship. He said this, Every day you may make progress. Every step may be fruitful. Yet there will stretch out before you an ever-lengthening, ever-ascending, ever-improving path. You know you will never get to the end of this journey, but this, so far from discouraging, only adds to the joy and glory of the climb. What makes this ever-lengthening, ever-ascending path glorious and joyful? How can that be? It is because Jesus is, is the goal and because he is with us on the journey. That passage in Matthew, the last thing he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us. And the goal of becoming more Christ-like, it means that he's both the ends and he's the means. And that makes this path glorious and joyful. He's the, he's the end goal to be like him and to be with him. And he's the means. His equipping is what causes us to even be able to take this journey. He brought us into this journey. He's the ends and the means. Verse 8 of our passage today, which I didn't even touch on. I know there's some confusing parts to our passage. But it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. We were captive. And he ransomed us. We were dead in our sins. And he brought us life in him. We were without hope. And he brought us this glorious hope of life eternal with him forever. And he told us as his disciples to remember his sacrifice for us and his, his new covenant with us. So that's what we get to do. As we pursue Christ together, as we disciple one another, we remember what Christ has done for us in communion. So we do this every week. And if you are a believer in Christ, that he is who he said he was, the Lord and Savior of the world, that he died for you, for your sins, and that you're made holy in him, then please take communion with us, partake. You are a brother or sister in the Lord. And if you're not there, then this meal is not meant for you. Please just don't, don't partake and just observe and consider, like, w- would you be a disciple? Would you place your faith in Christ as the Lord? We'd love it if you would do that. So I'm going to invite up our worship team and, and we're going to distribute the, the bread and, and the juice. And when you get it, would you just hold on to it? Uh, we will take it together and I'll come back up and lead us through through communion. But I'm, I want to pray and thank the Lord. God, we, we thank you as we hold your bread and, and your cup. Thank you for the promises that we have in you, that you are the means by which we can sit at this table. And you are the end, result, and goal of our lives, to be with you and to glory in you. Thank you that, that you have opened our eyes. Would you strengthen us to be more like you, we pray. Amen.